Welcome to our journey. Our journey toward a more perfect union. Our more perfect union is an experiment, a grand experiment in something we all cherish, democracy. Welcome to our Radio Roundtable with higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalie Alinos, and from Beacon Hill, Representative Jeff Roy, as we the people celebrate the journey of America toward a more perfect union. Hello and welcome to A More Perfect Union, our first show of the new year, in which we will continue our review of the great events of 2022 and look ahead to 2023. We had a tremendous discussion last week. It was just wide ranging and lively and very, very informative. And as I mentioned at the close last week, uh, we gave you something to think about. And But we've got more even more to share with you. So we'd like to start right off this new year with a continuation of last week's show. Joining us also this week from our radio roundtable of regulars, uh, higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones. Good morning. Good morning, Michael. Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalie Alinos. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, from Beacon Hill, our representative, Jeff Roy, and as always along with us, our station manager, Peter J. That would be me. That <laughs> would be you. And there Morning. is only you and you are one and solo. Switching gears here, when you're looking at infrastructure in medicine, nobody wants to pay for infrastructure in medicine. But whenever you go to see your PCP, you know, they walk in with a laptop, they tap a few keys, your medical history pops up including your scans from wherever they may have come from, and all of this digital information about you that someone needs access to is at their fingertips from some magic server system somewhere. Uh, and it spans hospitals, hospital chains, doctor's offices, uh, all of the ancillary services th that people provide. And the fact that all of that information, all protected under HIPAA, is at the fingertips in a necessary way. You know, that's been going on now for about 20 plus years. And developing that infrastructure and affording that infrastructure is something that has had to be buried in the background of all the medical invoices that we have. And it has not been an easy journey digitally. I did a little bit of work in imaging with respect to the beginning of it under, under developing standards called DICOM, Digital Imaging Compliance. Anyway, the fact that it exists and it helps us all to have better health care, but the costs have to be buried somewhere. The costs have to be indirect because guess what? It's infrastructure. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm an infrastructure champion. You know, the, the more we do with developing robust infrastructure, you know, politically, they call it ports, highways, you know, airports and so on. But it, now in a digital age, it runs a whole lot deeper than that, a whole lot deeper than that, both for connectivity, for people to be uh, to enjoy parity on the Internet and connectivity for the services that we all enjoy, some of them very life saving. Uh, and, it also, and it also makes me very angry, very angry, Pete. Why would you I'm, be angry? Tell me why well, you're angry. 
Well, because I walk into one of my care physicians, or one of the specialists, and I ask him, I says, are you part of the, uh, you know, without being playing favors, but are you part of, of this particular grid, uh, which my primary care physician happens to belong to? And if they say no, I get yeah. angry over that. Why? Because there's now no fluid uh, melting of my records. Which means that if I want my primary care physician to know what this particular specialist thinks about the ailment that he uh, uh -huh. or she referred me to, they've got to either fax it yep. or email it. That's ridiculous in twenty uh, 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 in the twenty first century. So I agree with you. Infrastructure is important, but. I don't think that we have the time. Well, I know I don't have the time as an uh, <laughs> as an old guy. Uh, I don't have the time to wait for this thing to be built. I want it now so that if something happens to me, all of my records are right there. Now, that may be selfish, but darn it, it makes me angry. <laughs> well, someone who happens to have some awareness of what that, that is like, you're describing a problem I'm very, very well aware of. I and my wife collect every single record whenever we visit any medical specialist or doctor or PCP. Mm -hmm. We get a compact disc of files, scans, whatever, and I maintain our medical records here. And if I have to go to someone else who's not in system or whatever, I take what they need with me digitally. So I've actually, because I'm digitally aware, I've actually jumped ahead of the system. Right now, there is this sort of parochialism, this, this incomplete cross-connectivity of, of the various major systems. But I think somewhere over the next handful of years, we're going to get there because these records are too important to handle in the old ways. And I think that just like, you know, you get a major fire somewhere and the fire people from the next town over are, are called in to, to help out, cities and towns rely on each other for expansive support sometimes. Uh, and I think that the medical community uh, needs to find ways to do the same. So that's sort of like the last mile for us, the last the last frontier in terms of digital infrastructure. And I'd love to see that one addressed. Perhaps somewhere in 2023, we might be able to find an expert who can come on and discuss that in ways far more illuminating than I. But I think that uh, that's one to put on our list for the future. And I, and I just want to jump in, Pete, and say sure. that I think we should bring in an expert because I think in the medical field, a big debate is around data privacy and who has access because of HIPAA. So it is a little bit more yes. complicated, but I should say there is a cost to not having that. So an example, I went to the dentist post-COVID. I hadn't been for many, you know, two, three years. And they said, okay, let's just, it was a new dentist. Let yeah. me photograph everything. Then I get a bill from my insurance that is $150. And it's because I had actually taken x-rays of my teeth three years ago at a different dentist. And so had, and the expectation was that they should have shared that information. And the fact that my insurance only covers photos every five years. And it's just like, oh my gosh, how would I have not known? Or how would I have known one, that my insurance doesn't cover it every three years, yeah, yeah, two, yeah. that this information isn't shareable. And therefore it was, you know, an elective wasted additional sort of service. Right. I agree with you. It is, it is really, really difficult. But I should say that COVID has made medical telemedicine the norm. And so yes. I think it changed so quickly um, and including laws about what is stored, how you communicate. So I think 
2023, opening up all those issues, a conversation would be really welcome. And to see if there are things that, you know, telemedicine and the forced kind of use of digital mm. medicine has allowed us to move forward. And then going back to Jeff's point about being out somewhere where there was no access, like what that means from a health equity perspective, mm -hmm. that some of us will have access to telemedicine and to share data. And then without the infrastructure that goes beyond the medical infrastructure, but the broader infrastructure for right. uh, what that means for inequities um, in, in health, as well as in other areas. I'm sensing yeah, that would... there's definitely another show here. Uh, yeah, jump in with a question for Jeff and his colleagues on the medical committee, because the Massachusetts doesn't, uh, as far as I experienced, allow telemedicine if you're out of state. Uh, so I was um, stuck in Ireland with COVID trying to get a letter uh, from my doctor. And they said, absolutely not. We can't consult with you if you're out of the state. So interesting. Um, I don't know um, why that is, but uh, it's, a, it's an obstacle for Massachusetts residents. Well, I'll give you a, uh, a brief on that. In the United States of America, we license doctors in particular states, and uh, you get your care from a physician that's licensed in your particular state. So when you begin crossing those state lines, it gets confusing on uh, as to the appropriate licensure. Um, and then when you get into the nursing aspect of it, the nurses are not thrilled with this notion that uh, you might be using um, out-of-state labor. So there's uh, union conflicts there. So uh, those are a lot of things that we have to sort out uh, as we are unveiling the telemedicine. I mean, telemedicine is now coming into vogue. And I think COVID gave us an opportunity to see just how well telemedicine uh, could work. And I think you'll see those types of issues being uh, addressed over the next, uh, I would expect in this particular term of the legislature, we'll try to grapple with those issues. But believe it or not, there's a reason. Mm -hmm. yeah, but just yeah, 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 but that doesn't make it that doesn't make it rational or reasonable. <laughs> Let me give you an example, Jeff, of yes, that's true. And Chris, you were in Ireland, right? Now, let's say your doctor was in Ireland and you were at home. Believe it or not, your doctor now could talk to you and he could or she could prescribe for you. Just reverse where you are. Now, mm. I understand the licensing issue, Jeff, but what happens is technology has put a real sort of spotlight on what used to be logical mm. and what's logical now in a highly technological age. Mm. And I think you're right. We need to have a conversation to start to work this out because it makes no sense. If Chris was in the United States and his doctor was in Ireland, his doctor could have treated him. Yeah, I mean, could I, have I even get prescribed that. And um, what you're going to see, uh, you know, the technology today allows a surgeon who may be in Colorado to actually perform the procedure in a Boston hospital uh, using technology. So, you know, these are things, you know, the law often has to catch up with uh, changes in technology. And this is not the first space where we have no. uh, seen this happen. 
Um, but you know, yeah. yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's the law catching up. I mean, they've, they've had to, for the past 30 years, they've been trying to catch up to just the vagaries and the structure of the internet. Mm. How do you regulate what goes on, on the web? And there's still a lot more to do there. A yeah. lot more to do there. Oh yeah. I'll just close that, uh, thought, uh, by uh, mentioning that the, my fellow travelers who, uh, doctors, um, and their residences were in uh, New York or Florida had no problem getting, um, access to the telemedicine. So maybe see what the, those states have set up to manage yeah, that. The, this is one, I think, where state by state, there are interpretations as to what's going on with respect to state law. And and so I, I think I'll mention this whole thing on infrastructure and whatnot by saying to you all seated here with me at the roundtable that it's an interesting last question as you leave your practitioner's office to say, can I please have a copy of the data? Because what you are saying when you do that is, this is my information about me. And under HIPAA, I have a right to the information about me. It is my data. I own it. And since I've paid for it, I would love a copy. And I've actually gotten effectively no resistance. So I'm, you know, they're, they're yeah. looking at me a little quizzically and a little confused because nobody ever asks. Uh, and some of the, well, maybe we'll have it for you tomorrow. But no, I said, I'll wait for the disc. Or they'll say, come back in a half hour, we'll burn you a disc. But nobody has ever actually refused. So I'm encouraged by that. So I give that one to you as your homework for 2023. Well, 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 I'm going to take a different approach, Pete, because when I leave my doctor's office, and here's why, I guess, earlier I had that rant and rave. Uh -huh. <laughs> because my question for them is, how soon will this be on the portal? And inevitably, most of them tell me, oh, it's on as soon as we hit the send key Yeah, right now. So when I get home, Pete, I don't have to ask. I can make a copy on my own. I can just go right to my portal and copy down. Not only, as a matter of fact, I've done it, all of my medications, all of my visits, yeah. all of my visit reports, all of my uh, scans and x-rays, everything is right there. So... I understand that you're collecting this for your own uh, files in your own office. Mm -hmm. uh, I happen to be a little more lazy in that, you know, I don't want to junk up my house any more than what it already is. So I just carry my phone around with me or uh, when I'm on my computer, I can check and I can download and do all of that myself. And I think that's it's the it's the convenience that I don't mm -hmm. think most of us as consumers are aware of, and right. we're not aware that that infrastructure has got to be built and unified. So that again, when I run into a physician that says, "Oh no, I'm not part of that network, uh, and I can't contribute to that network," that's why I get angry because now you're right. Now I'd have to ask. Uh, for it, and then I'd have to set up my own files, and I'm too lazy for that. So, Michael, uh, you have brought uh, to my memory, and I'm going to suggest this as a holiday movie for you. Go out and get uh, the movie Network from 1976. Mm. Oh, great! And then film. at the end of the speech, where he says, "Then we'll figure out what to do about the depression and the inflation." And all the uh, other sorts of uh, crisis. But first, get up out of your chairs. Open get up window, out of your chairs. Go to your window. And, say, I'm and yell out. And I'm, I'm not mad as hell. And I'm not going to take it anymore. Thank yeah. you, Howard Beale. 
I love that movie. I've already yes. Let let me go back and refresh. <laughs> I gotta say, if there was a movie that seemed outrageous in its day, mm -hmm. Eddie Chayefsky wrote an outrageous mm -hmm. script, which today reads as quaint. Yeah, yeah, there was something. <laughs> you know, we look at it today and go. Is that all there was way back then for them to wear? <laughs> but, but uh, you know, Hollywood yeah. Hollywood writers can't keep up with reality anymore. They just can't. So again, one of the uh, uh, one of the wonderful things too that we did this year, uh, in terms of uh, uh, we did a show on infrastructure uh, when the uh, when the president passed. Uh, uh, got the bipartisan piece of the infrastructure piece out there. Yeah, we uh, scratched the surface, yes. And again, yes, we just scratched the surface. And I think I challenged all of you uh, to go out and take a look in the uh, at your street at those poles and yep. those wires that are up in the air because that's one of the most expensive parts of delivery yep. uh, to maintain. As a matter of fact, I, I I would I would suspect, and some of you may know better than me, uh, I would suspect that it's it's more expensive to maintain that grid than it is to really supply the energy at this point. Well, think about the guys in hard hats up on their buckets repairing stuff in the middle of an ice storm when they all come rolling in truck after truck after truck after an area has been hitting forty thousand people have no power. And they got to put the grid all back together again. Mm -hmm. uh, and they got to do it as quickly as possible in hours or even a few days if it's really a disaster. Uh, you know, those guys are heroes as much as anybody yeah. else. That, they're is gonna be not, out that is not a fun shift. They're going to be out in force here in the next week or so. I would think so. Say that. I'm not ready days. for that. Uh, we're going to get rain. I, it, it, well, if you want uh, expense, the um, in the UK, uh, thanks to the experience of World War II and the <clears throat> aerial bombing, all those kinds of infrastructure um, cables and wires and pipes still have to be buried to protect yes. them from the Luftwaffe. So uh, that's a, you know, it's more secure and stronger and more resilient until it needs um, updating or fixing. And then they close all the roads and dig up the highway because it's all under the roads and creates all kinds of chaos. So uh, be grateful for small mercies that at least uh, we're allowing it overhead mm. with all the problems that it has, but still. Speaking of the UK, there was a momentous event there during this past year. Uh, I mean, the last time we saw this event happen, I was still very much in grade school, is, you know, the changing of the monarch. The queen well, now passed. The performance by the Lennon sisters at the castle. Well, it was, there was that, you know, oh, that, was, that okay. was wonderful, wonderful as well. Um, but, you know, in terms of pageantry, you know, I think, I don't think that the Lennon sisters quite stack up, but <laughs> but yes, you know, the queen a, has passed on, and now we have King Charles the Third. Yes, and, we had a we had a good discussion about that, um, yeah. and uh, uh, it still was extremely shocking for me to start talking about the king instead of the mm. queen, and seeing all the little tiny changes that happen as a result of that. Yeah. The, um, Top lawyers in in the UK are called barristers, and mm. their the official initials after their name was QC, and it had been for my entire life the Queen's mm -hmm. Council. And then Casey, suddenly yeah. I'm starting to see documents and things with people from Casey, and I think, mm. oh my goodness, <laughs> there yes. that entire like you know nomenclature has changed. Well, yes. the currency changes um, now. 
And the currency's changing yeah. with all the coins. Yeah, and bills, I just so. uh, just saw pound notes the other day with mm-hmm. the, the king's graven image thereupon. The queen is dead. Long live the king. The death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II has stirred up powerful emotions, and not just across the pond. Many Americans are mourning just as much as the Brits. The spectacle, the pomp and circumstance have many enthralled, and the grief seems real. It feels like, for everybody, an end of an era. But the UK is also in the midst of another great change. One of the Queen's last official acts was to welcome a new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, to succeed the controversial Boris Johnson. Her inner cabinet is notable as for the first time in history, there are no white men in the highest political offices of the United Kingdom. But the new government is also being criticized for having no ideas and no vision for the country at a time of accelerating accelerating economic distress. So uh, what to make of all the changes across the pond and how can we relate for real? So let me throw it to uh, Jeff first. Uh, Where... uh, how are you grieving the loss of Her Majesty? Well, a uh, point of personal privilege, uh, I will point out that uh, Her Majesty passed on my birthday. Uh, so uh, that uh, I'll, I'll always remember that day uh, from there. But, you know, I have mixed reviews on uh, the, the whole um, uh, monarchy. You know, I live in a country that rebelled against the monarchy. And, uh, you know, I... I some, sometimes laugh when uh, I give a tour of the state house, and um, the first statue that ever came into the sta- uh, state house was a statue of uh, George Washington, and uh, he appears to be wrapped in a cloak, a regal gown. And there was uh, objection to that statue being brought into the state house uh, in that fashion, and the artist said, "Oh, that's not a regal." cloak of any kind. He's wrapped in a flag coming off of the field of battle. So he was welcomed into the state house, and that statue has been there ever since uh, 1824. And I I think of that, uh, you know, uh, we rebelled against King George, and and the monarchy has survived for so long. And I I think of the good work uh, that has been done by the monarch uh, in England, and I think of how revered Queen Elizabeth was, uh, serving uh, for over 70 years in that role, uh, just an incredible, um, incredible reign, and uh, brought a sense of uh, measured engagement by people and uh, the outpouring of grief that we see across the world uh, is is positively amazing and and positively. Uh, a tribute to how uh, she has had a tremendous impact. So I have that dichotomy going on in my mind of of rebellion, yet reverence for uh, the queen. And uh, I'm sitting here wondering uh, how King George will uh, succeed her and whether he will uh, have the same impact uh, that she had and uh, I also sit here and I wonder how long is the monarch uh, going to last uh, in, in, in the world? And, you know, it's amazing that we have the transition to a new prime minister uh, in Great Britain at the same time as you have the transition uh, to a new king. So uh, interesting times ahead. And uh, Chris, you have lived and breathed this stuff. I can tell from your Texas accent. So I'm really uh, anxious to uh, 
hear, uh, you know, your thoughts on it and, uh, you know, how, you know, whether my perspective is just uh, misplaced and uh, that there is an active role uh, for the monarchy. Wow, Texas accent. How does that go? Pip, pip, yeehaw. <laughs> you giddy up. Um, so the, it's interesting because um, polling consistently for uh, pretty much the last century has shown about 20 to 25% of the UK uh, voters are dead against the monarchy and want to become a republic. Mm-hmm. And there has been a few protests around the um uh, the royal funeral and the uh, events around that. But I think, you know, f- few and far between at the moment. It's just not, I think most people know it's not the time or place just yet to to bring up those. But Charles has never been particularly popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that against him. He's we've seen a slightly eccentric and a little bit of a meddler, uh, which, of course, uh, Americans need to remember under the UK constitution, which doesn't exist uh, on paper, but under all the accumulation of precedents and rules and laws that they have, the monarch is there simply to act as, in, in a sense, a counselor, an advisor, uh, without actually uh, meddling, someone who can listen to the problems of the well, government. Uh, please tell us them. what you uh, please tell us what you mean by meddler. And meddling, I'm uh, I'm intrigued because you say it sort of tongue in cheek. He's, Tell us what that's all about. So, as I was saying, that you we have no idea what the Queen's position was on anything uh, politically, uh, in terms of geopolitics or domestic politics or international relations or what's the best way to run the taxation system in the country or how to uh, manage environmental uh, change and distress. And but we know a lot about what Charles is thinking uh, because he's been fairly active, in particular in campaigning for a subject close to your heart, Jeff, the environment. And he gets flack for that because he's not supposed to as king, whereas he was uh, as Prince of Wales. He has said in interviews that he's not going to bring any of that activism into the the new job, as it were. But, uh, you know, he has caught flack on that in the past. Uh, so it's it's going to be interesting with with regard to the the desire that some seem to feel might be and particularly with uh, the ascension of Charles to the throne might pick up a little bit the the desire for a republic a return to republic or actually not a return but basically to wipe away the you know the whole facade of royalty and the monarchy of, of England how viable do you think that is I mean particularly let's say he reigns for 10 years. I mean, he's 70, more than that. He could reign for 20 years, you know, 25 years based on his family's longevity. Do you think there's a potentially um, a day when you'd be seeing the monarchy told to pack it in and get on back to cheap side, you know, for a while? <laughs> I, I can't imagine it because the other 80% uh, of the country has such a deep affection and reverence for the country, at least from my personal uh, anecdotal experience and from the polls as well, that uh, it's hard to imagine that being happening without some kind of catastrophic well, uh, now, event. Now, when we talk about polls in England, let's 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 let's, let's remember what what's been going on lately. Brexit. I mean, how viable was that poll? <laughs> <laughs> so the, again, I don't know if there's any going mm-hmm. back. If you're going to shift into the political arena, mm-hmm. uh, it would be, and I'm sure that the Europeans would even want. Uh, the Brits back 
in mm -hmm. the European mm -hmm. Union, even if they came begging on their knees, mm -hmm. um, which um, is an interesting reminder that the first time the Brits applied to join the European Union was begging on their knees because the economy in the early 70s was on its was broken. The, mm -hmm. the, the inflation, it's like deja vu all over again, inflation mm -hmm. was running rampant. There was um, a huge amount of um, industrial strife as workers were um, striking and taking on uh, the government and their employers for better uh, working conditions. Um, and energy was a particular crisis. There were blackouts. I remember growing up looking for candles uh, to, because the energy uh, was either being chaotically delivered or the workers were on strike. Um, so yeah, that's some interesting parallels to today. There's a, yeah, I mean, a it, looming it, energy crisis in Europe, far worse than, than anything we're looking at here in the US. Right. Yeah, Charlie. Oh, boy. Anyway, well, you know, we'll we'll give him a shot. Let's let's see yeah. what he can do. Let's let's give him his opportunity to continue making, you know, the Royals relevant and hopefully cherished in the future. I think it's a unique hallmark of of British history and heritage and, you know, we look at it from afar as Americans, but I I think that, you know, we hold, you know, that aspect of British society in high regard. And, which is uh, which is odd since technically you fought against it to uh, on the assumption that uh, all people are created equal. So yes, it's a it's an extraordinary um, affection here for a hierarchical yes uh, system. But um, anyway, re ref I've, referred to in uh, intelligence agencies as the special relationship. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. So, um, right. I was uh, given given some grief, uh, or, or people were saying, you know, what we what were you doing at the Earthshot event with the royals? Didn't uh, didn't America rebel against the king and the queen? I said, yeah, I get it, and uh, yes, we did rebel. I said, however, the the prince and the princess were here, and they were actually elevating the conversation on climate change. And any opportunity we can get to elevate the conversation, get people discussing and talking about these issues, uh, I'm going to be there uh, no matter what. And uh, so I'm not apologizing for appearing at the uh, mm. Earthshot festivities because it really highlighted what work we need to do and how timely it was. And I think I said earlier in the show that uh, every day I get something from the administration. And uh, today was... Uh, was no uh, letdown. Uh, we just had the uh, 2022 mass climate change assessment uh, was issued uh, five minutes ago. So I can tell you every day for the rest of the year, you're going to see some news coming out on uh, climate in Massachusetts. And today was no exception. Excellent. <laughs> now, uh, Chris, uh, with regard to how the British public and all of that uh, entails, I mean, what exactly is Britain these days? And uh, who considers themselves British as opposed to English, Scottish, Irish? What what are they looking? What are you looking at there? You're you're speaking from the ground level. You're a monarchist, I believe. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I've uh, I've always you been serve a bit of an the queen, serve the queen. Um, at least um, when it comes to that kind of thing, uh, and a Republican with a small R, uh, thinking that uh, that would be a more utilitarian and effective form of government, but. Uh, as I've aged, hey, Nick, are you saying that because Chris refers to his daughter as a princess? <laughs> <laughs> um, as I've aged, I've come to understand the value of the the pomp and pageantry for uh, and the and the continuity for providing some 
stability uh, to the country. But um, the uh, it's been a fascinating year for the UK in terms of the economic disruption caused by the fuel crisis from the war in Ukraine, the uh, continued supply chain disruptions that have been messing up the economy uh, and the um, awful aftermath uh, still on investment and trade and economic growth from Brexit uh, that continues to haunt the UK. And now that we are, the public is seeing a lot of this, uh, large, vast majority of people are expressing regret that over the Brexit vote and thinking it was a mistake, but no one's talking about reversing it. And obviously that has had its own consequences, as you said, for the, the Celtic fringe, as it's called, for mm-hmm. Scots, uh, Northern Irish and Wales, people trying to talk about carving their own destiny, in particular in Scotland, talk of a new referendum on independence, yes. and then reapplying to join the European Union. And of course, the conundrum with Northern Ireland, what to do with that in terms of uh, borders and trade. And then just the the incredibly incompetent display of economic mismanagement uh, under the Trust Administration uh, with the when the markets pretty much crucified the administration and forced a, a complete change in leadership. So, um, yeah, it's fascinating. It's it's unclear where they're going. By all indicators, they're falling behind the European Union, Union as most people expected with the Brexit vote um, right. was taking place. I mean, that was um, forecast. That was pretty much forecast uh, to a certain right. extent. But yeah, you're right. It's it's it uh, like everything else. It seems to reach levels that um, no one could have uh, Right. And the, the economic disparities in the UK, they since the 2007 crash, uh, the government forced a policy of austerity. And the if we think we've got a problem here in terms of the uh, ratio between highest and lowest income earners in the UK, it's uh, um, actually even worse, uh, which is astonishing to believe. And I, I can't understand how uh, the younger generation are making ends meet. Um, uh, they can't afford houses their people are living like five or six uh to a house just to because that's the only way to pay for the rent and so i don't know it's just seems like the numbers don't add up there uh, economically for the younger generation so i i don't know how it's going to resolve itself i think to a certain extent that's you know it's 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 happening in this country too um housing has been priced way out of uh way out of sight so yeah Uh, there's a lot of things need to be changed you know as difficult as things have been during these past year and even more you know with everything that we've dealt with uh, covid the effects on our own economy here at home and of course you know the republicans and the democrats are at each other's throats blaming each other uh and talking about you know various forms of witch hunts and investigations for all that has gone wrong we here in the u.s still have it pretty good all things considered uh with respect to how it is that we're hanging in there and all of this so yeah we can we can dump on the past years as as all we want as being horrible at the end of the day if we manage to continue forging our way forward i think 2023 could be very promising for us uh my heart goes out to people in ukraine oh my god you know the winter that they're facing yeah i can't imagine yeah we we um yeah, I had a limited experience in a war zone myself in my youth in Afghanistan as a reporter. Mm. And Americans, despite all the difficulties, really fail to appreciate how lucky they are that, um, you know, the things we're complaining about are the speed of our access to the Internet or uh, things of that nature, which are, you know, obviously, uh, you know, and obviously there's the human rights sure. fallout from the Supreme Court rulings. 
um, which are gravely serious. But uh, the Taliban, for example, in Afghanistan just expelled all females from all universities. Uh, oh, so to the my, to the God. What was that about? Uh, exactly. Wow. And then, as you say, in Ukraine, the incredible sufferings that the people have had. Now, they've put on a very brave face, um, but the casualties have been in the tens of thousands. As you say, the the crimes right. that have been inflicted on them, uh, the hardships that they're all, all going to be facing through the through the rest of the winter, winter. Yes. Um, just having access to any heat or any water, mm -hmm. things that we just take so granted here to be grateful for the things that we have and thankful that the whole nation of Ukraine is willing to take on that fight to mm. defend uh, themselves and the things that we hold dear in terms of liberty, freedom, mm -hmm. uh, self-determination, and the principles that the US has fought for since the end of the Second World War that uh, countries just shouldn't invade other countries to steal their territorial resources uh, exactly. or, or enslave their people. Um, it's it's a pretty fundamental right, and uh, the Ukrainians are fighting that fight for us uh, right now. Absolutely. I've, I, I, I had a vision in my head yesterday that President Zelensky, in his address to Congress, to the joint session, I would have loved him to look at everyone and ask the question, who here, show of hands, believes in fundamental liberty? Now, Every single person in the room would have almost been forced to raise their hand. It would have been, been a, it would have been an embarrassment not to raise your hand as a representative or a senator. And I would have said, "We are fighting for your liberty, and we need your support." That would have hammered it home because I'm hearing these, you know, little bits of business about, well, it's getting expensive, and well, you know, liberty is not free. It's also not cheap. And so I think we should, you know, all remember that as we go forward, along with the Ukrainians in a year where they're really going to need us. And quite frankly, we need them. Yes. I yeah, think I, think, uh, I think President Zelensky last night did a wonderful job. I think he said that, Pete. I think yeah. uh, without the raising of the hands, but I think he, he really hit the nail on the head for us as Americans, reminding us that it, it, the struggle they're going through is one that it's not of their making, but there's this despot yes. who believes that he and his country can just invade. And the other wonderful piece I think that uh, Zelensky said was, we're not asking you to come fight our battle. All we're asking you to do is just help us with the resources we need so right. that we can fight our battles. Right. And let's not forget, too, that Ukraine, when the Soviet Union broke up, was one of the first countries to give up their nuclear weapons. Correct. Let's not forget, they had nukes. And under the breakup agreement, especially the agreement with the West, Ukraine, like a few other countries, gave up their nuclear weapons. And I'm still to this day in shock that we're not doing even more to help uh, our Ukrainian brothers and sisters. Uh, so very impressive. Uh, going into 2023, we're going to be faced uh, continually, and I hope every day, with the fact that uh, these folks are under siege, that they're being killed, that their infrastructure is being attacked purposefully, so that they will die of either starvation 
of the environment. They're freezing, but their resolve is to hang in there. And again, it's for us that they're also fighting this fight because, again, the basic tenets of humanity uh, demand that we stand with them. And at some point, we may have to face the reality that if they are overrun, uh, what do we do prior to that moment? Well, I have faith in what they're doing, and I am looking forward, fingers crossed, to seeing a Ukrainian victory in 2023. Mm, which would be a world victory, I believe. Well said. Yes. On that note, another more perfect union hour has flown by, and we will be saying goodbye until next week. Now, if you would like to weigh in on our discussions, as always, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at franklin.tv. That's I-N- fo at franklin.tv if you enjoyed our discussion please let us know or as always more importantly if you disagree all the more reason to let us know now you can also share or listen to our this program or any of our other past episodes anytime our podcasts are available online at our website wfpr.fm so for our guests, as always, our regulars, Dr. Natalia Linos, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, and our representative, Jeff Roy, along with my co-host, Chris Wolf, and our station manager, Peter J. I am Nick Remasong. Thanks for listening and joining our shared journey toward a more perfect union. This is Franklin Public Radio.